Good afternoon. It's Saturday, April 4th, 2020. When the rain persists and the clouds hang close day after day, the world around us seems to shrink. A world already shrunk to a fraction of its normal size by the limitations of quarantine. Claustrophobic fumes of melancholy try to settle down over our spirits, stifling faith, vision, gratitude, and purpose. Well over a million people around the globe are infected with this virus, tragically resulting in more than 70,000 deaths. Over 8,000 Americans have lost their lives in this outbreak. As of yesterday, 10 million had lost their jobs. The stock market has suffered its greatest losses in history, devastating the retirement funds of countless senior citizens. And the crisis has revealed some troubling realities otherwise obscured from public awareness. One such grim revelation is that humans, even with all their powers of computation, analysis, and science, are still not omniscient. It turns out the Apostle Paul was right. We know in part, and we see in part. Two weeks ago, the CDC discouraged people from using face masks, saying they were unnecessary and unhelpful. They even went so far as to suggest that wearing a mask could possibly increase your chance of getting the virus. At the same time, they said we needed to save these masks for medical personnel and first responders. Some observed an inherent contradiction in these two proclamations. Now, as of yesterday, they are advising all Americans to wear non-medical cloth or a mask while in public if social distancing is not possible. One can certainly resonate with the concern of these experts that people not assume that a mask is the only prevention or that wearing one absolves you of the need to wash your hands or practice social distancing. However, that notwithstanding, we cannot help but see a direct reversal and even contradiction in these three statements from the CDC. When asked on national television about the threat of the Wuhan virus on January 21st, the highly respected Anthony Fauci stated that the virus represented no real danger to Americans and that by comparison, we should be much more worried about the seasonal flu. This is Dr. Fauci in his own words, quote, This is not a major threat to the people of the United States, and this is not something that the citizens of the United States should be worried about, quote, unquote. Now, in the last 48 hours, Dr. Fauci is encouraging a national shutdown and quarantine. He seems to be a sincere public servant, going above and beyond to help in this global crisis. He is doubtless one of the brightest intellects in the field, and we can all be thankful for the wisdom he brings to the picture. Yet, we should not either ignore that when it is needed most, science and human-centered knowledge continues to come short. Still others have observed additional inconsistencies. The industry of the entire nation has been shut down, resulting in the loss of more than 10 million jobs, all because of modeling from data and calculations that suggested the total inundation and breakdown of the medical system. The IHME predicted that the country would need 135,000 hospital beds to treat just coronavirus patients by yesterday. They predicted New York would need 56,000. 
In fact, yesterday, New York only had 13,000 COVID-19 hospitalizations, not 56,000. The model predicted that the state of Oklahoma would require 1,000 hospital beds by yesterday. In fact, it's only using 38. Only three out of the 50 states ended up using more hospital beds than the model predicted. Yet this modeling was one of the primary factors in forming the decision to shut down the nation. It's not my place to criticize or to judge or even to second-guess, but it is my place to call out human-centered knowledge when it comes short, even in a crisis when its accuracy is most depended upon. My point is not to champion the errors of the hard-working individuals doing their very best. It's true, China lied about their statistics and that threw a monkey wrench into our perspective about this virus. But that fact reveals a bigger truth, a misplaced dependence that is required by the economic system we have created. Science without God can be off by orders of magnitude even when in the hands of the best intentioned. Sometimes it's just dead wrong. We can take comfort in the Word of God that reminds us of the only sure, unfailing source of wisdom. The Word of God reminds us of the one who sees the end from the beginning, who can encompass today, tomorrow, a thousand years ago, and all of eternity in the future in a moment of time and give us the direction we need for the right now. Job 28 says, God alone understands the way to wisdom. He knows where it can be found. For he looks throughout the whole earth and sees everything under heaven. Psalms 147.5 says, Great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. The Lord supports the afflicted. And Isaiah 40.28 says, Do you not know? Have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired? His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. I want to touch on another grim revelation that's come to light through this crisis. 90% of our life-saving drugs are dependent on some ingredient that comes from China. A full 50% of all our drugs come directly from China. Is it any surprise that the communist dictatorship, which has been persecuting Christians and recently enslaving and disappearing Muslims by the hundreds of thousands, is now hiding data, falsifying numbers, and generally doing their best to spread misinformation? Growing up as a child, I remember we were all very conscious to try not to purchase goods made in China because of the intensified persecution of Christians, as well as the general pattern of slave labor that was going on at the time. But Americans were not able to steal themselves from consumerism for moral reasons, 
or for the suffering of their fellow man. Maybe now they will cease their blind sponsoring of brutality in the interest of preserving their lives. Greed is a fast-paced animal, pulling the cart of American consumerism. Its appetite cannot wait for moral questions. It cannot slow down to contemplate adverse implications to its economic alliances. It goes to great lengths to offer grand gestures of solidarity and friendship between rival nations. It forms treaties, worth less than the paper they're printed on, all to cover up the gnawing truth that we are racing toward a precipice where the wild ride will end in an hour, in a thousand pieces, in an abyss of hopelessness at the bottom of a crisis like this. Internationalism is preached to us on a daily basis because it is humanism's counterpart to Christian brotherhood. Through the sacrifice of himself, Jesus tore down every barrier of fear and wall of separation that divided nationalities and languages. Through his sacrificial love, we have peace. Yet the evangelists for the dogma of humanism would have us believe that mutual self-interest is an equally effective force at bringing unity, cooperation, and love between peoples. But when push comes to shove, the grand gestures and legal treaties of economic cooperation vanish like phantoms in the morning fog. So, though China, the place where all this started, is ludicrously claiming to have had fewer cases than the United States, and though they're actively spreading lies around the globe that the U.S. Army planted the virus, and though they're withdrawing massive crate carriers full of supplies for the U.S. back to China, yet the U.S. has to play very careful and nice because of its terrifying dependence. It is locked in a hateful embrace of mutually assured destruction, not because of nuclear threat, but because of economic interdependence. And what do you know? As a reward for China's excellent behavior of late, the United Nations elected to put China on the Committee Protecting Human Rights today. Make sense of that if you can. All of this economically-based global turmoil gives us occasion to contemplate our exodus from all the kingdoms of the world, including the most seductive, ubiquitous, and powerful economy. The greatest, most deadly and devastating wars of all time were started for economic reasons. If self is going to be your God, he will be worshipped by the rewards of wealth and the sacrifices wealth requires. Money is simply a way to quantify and exchange power. If you have enough money, they say, you can get whatever you want. Power is what defines deity. So the universal quest for wealth might be seen as a pilgrimage to self-deification. And maybe it's less mystifying how Paul could say money is the root of all evil. The problem is that everyone is on this quest for self-empowerment through wealth, self-deification. Many gods do not coexist well in the same vicinity. I want to be part of a different culture, one based on love service and not greedy competition. I want to know those who labor among us. 
I want to participate in life. And most of all, I want to be part of a hope of a completely different way of living life, a completely separate culture altogether, that all those who are dismayed by man's creations may come and see what the Lord has done. I want to be part of Zion, the true Israel of God, the hope of the nations. The word of the Lord came through Micah the prophet regarding the end-time messianic community, Mount Zion, the church. Micah 4, verse 1 through 4 says, And it will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills, and the peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, and to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For from Zion will go forth the law, even the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between many peoples and render decisions for mighty distant nations. Then they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they train for war. Each of them will sit under his vine and under his fig tree with no one to make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. I ask you if this vision of the end-time church, the messianic nation, I ask you if it does not describe a time when the worldwide community of Zion will turn from trusting in governments of brute force and instead, they will beat their swords into plowshares. Does this not suggest a return to an agrarian lifestyle? And then when it says that each man will sit under his own vine and under his own fig tree, and no one will be able to make them afraid, does that not entail that in this end-time era, there is a certain level of sufficiency that is supposed to exist in the church where we are complete in him, where we are not afraid of what is happening out there because God has given us the provision where we can eat from the fruit of our own labors and thereby they will not be able to make us afraid. I ask myself, God, what is your will during this time? What do you want to come to light through the church, through your people at this time? And I am mindful of the passage in Hebrews that says, he will shake everything that can be shaken so that that which cannot be shaken will remain. So we are told in this scripture that when shaking comes, man-made things fracture and fall apart so that the God-made things may become evident to view. This is a hint and a promise. The Bible is suggesting that we should look for God-made miracles in the rubble of man's disasters. When you see the edifice of man's works trembling and crumbling down, don't turn away. Look and see what might come poking through, reflecting rays of hope and promise even amidst ashes of defeat. 
Sister Kay Toombs sent me an email this week describing some of her memories of war-torn England in the 1940s. She told about how England was almost entirely dependent on foreign imports for produce. But in the fiery trial of war, the English people dug up their flower beds and planted vegetables. City dwellers came together to share small plots that were converted into gardens. They planted, tended, and harvested in common. In the heat of war, they were able to reduce their produce imports from 14.7 million to 6 million. You see, there was a little bit of community, a little bit of brotherly love and cooperation, stifled but surviving in the hearts of those Brits. And it took some crumbling of artificial systems to reveal what had been planted and still remained of God's handiwork. Sister Kay also sent me some remarks from a doctor. On the front lines of the crisis in Italy, Dr. Amadeo Capetti has noticed the near complete disappearance of complaints among his patients. This is Dr. Capetti in his own words, quote, Rather than complain, my patients send me messages every day to ask me how I am doing, wanting to participate in the incredible and exceptional experience I am living. In fact, what I am living, but I believe this to be an experience shared by many others, is a phenomenon that we physicians often see in those who have survived a brush with death. The experience of opening your eyes and realizing that nothing can any longer be taken for granted. It is the recognition that everything is a gift. Waking up in the morning, greeting your loved ones, and even all the little moments of daily life that for some are merely time to be filled, but for others like me have unexpectedly become even more compelling than before. The grace of this new self-awareness radically transforms what we do generating amazement and friendship. We look at each other and say, today we cannot hug each other, but a smile says much more than what a hug used to say. This awareness allows us to participate in the drama of our patients. It is no coincidence that my colleagues ask me to pray not only for their loved ones, but also for their patients, something that has never happened before. And this, too, is contagious. He goes on, Yesterday, a woman from Crema phoned me to get news about her grandmother, who was hospitalized and in serious condition at the Sacco. She told me of her other grandmother, who died of COVID, and of her mother, who is in the intensive care in Crema. And then she said, You see, doctor, at the beginning I was praying, but now I have stopped. I answered, I understand, ma'am. Do not worry. I will be the one praying for her. When she heard this, she was moved and said, No, doctor. If you are going to pray, I'll do it as well. Let's pray together for my mother. And that concludes Dr. Ameti's remarks. So, amidst the fear and anguish presently ravaging Italy, little fragments of faith in God, and prayers that have gone silent for too long. Even love for one another and gratitude are emerging from the shaking. 
so that that which cannot be shaken may remain. We can be grateful that we have not yet faced times of suffering like Dr. Amadeo Capetti, but now is the time to deepen our relationship with God, to strengthen what remains, even the bonds of loving trust we hold for each other. Now is the time to let God plant in our hearts his unshakable convictions of surrendered obedience, love service to others, and a faith sufficient for the testing fires. Let's be vigilant, stockpiling on truth, filling up in the Holy Spirit, fortifying our hearts by faith, but never, never hoarding our love. The powerful name and authority of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and as lively stones become part of it and are saved. Let me close with these words from Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God bless you all. Shall be thine.
Like lambs, they shall stay. 